Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 22, and it's on page 1100 of the Bible. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went (coughs) to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord.
Good, good. You can't all answer that question at once, can you? It's impossible. Uh, my name's Matt, and if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you at the end of the service. I'll be at the door on your way out. Say hello. Um, I love asking people their stories, uh, and especially their stories about how they became a Christian, their stories of conversion. Um, I think it's a question we should ask one another more often because it's a story that is so transformative to our lives. It's the most transformative uh, for a Christian's life about how they became a Christian. Um, and yours may not have been as dramatic as Saul's, but I imagine it's had a dramatic effect on your life. And whether it's something that happened in one moment or whether it's uh, a series of moments, it's still a story of change, a story of conversion. Uh, the Bible has many images that it gives uh, the idea of conversion. Maybe you're familiar with them. Maybe you resonate with them. Darkness to light, from death to life, being made clean, uh, spiritual rebirth or being born again getting rid of the old person, putting on a new person. What was your story? What, how would you describe your conversion? What I love is every story is different in many ways. There's different names, there's different events, different circumstances, uh, but they're all similar. I was having uh, coffee with some new friends. They visited church, the 5.30 congregation last week, and went out for coffee, and I confess brownies as well. Um, and we had a lovely conversation. During that conversation, I asked them, how did you come to faith? What was your story? Uh, and we have a different language. They're from a different country. Um, they have a different first language to me. And, um, but they were sharing about it. And what was lovely was that at the end of their story, after hearing about different events, different circumstances, different time in their life, I could say, that's my story too. It's one of darkness to light, one of death to life, a story of cleansing, a story of a new life. Um, and it was just great to be able to share that even though you know, they're from a country 7,020 kilometers away, I know, I googled it. <laughs> it's the same, the same story of conversion of God's work in our lives. Now, maybe you don't really know what I'm talking about. Maybe you think, uh, is it, I'm a Christian if I'm born into a Christian family, or am I not automatically a Christian if I'm in the West? Um, but as this friend, this new friend, uh, was talking with me, they said, you know, as a kid, I was taken along to church every single Sunday. Free childcare for mum and dad, right? Um, I was, they weren't actually taken, they were just dropped off at the front door and picked up an hour and a half or two hours later. But he said, it wasn't until university that I had, and he was looking for the word in English, he didn't know it. And, I, and he said, it's like when the Holy Spirit comes in your life for the first time. And I said, ah, oh, was it kind of like, you know, a slug becoming a butterfly? And he goes, yes. And I said, the, the English words, conversion. Conversion, transformation. The story that we read about from the Bible today is the story of perhaps the most famous conversion of the Apostle Paul. 
his transformation. Um, and it's the most famous because it's in the Bible, and so we can all read about it. It's famous because of who he became. Um, the Apostle Paul was someone who persecuted the Christian church, and then just days after his persecution, became somebody who was persecuted for being a Christian, and became uh, somebody who wrote more than half of our New Testament. It's famous for, because of his dramatic reversal. But it's also, I think, important, and it's recorded for us, for his church, for God's church. It's important because I think God wants us to understand something about our own conversion, our own conversion stories in his story, in Saul's story. God wants us to understand something about the nature of conversion uh, in the Apostle Paul's story. And so that's what I want to draw out for us today. And the first thing that I think God wants us to see, even about our own conversion stories, is that Jesus always takes the initiative. You become a Christian only by God's grace, only because Jesus takes the initiative. Have a look at verse 3 of chapter 9. Keep your Bibles open. Uh, verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, this is a unique story. This is Saul's story. And unlike us, he actually meets the resurrected Jesus. That's something you and I will do one day in the future um, in heaven. But uh, we haven't had that experience yet. This is not a dream for Saul. This is not a vision. This is an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And as such, he takes on apostolic status. He's a witness to the risen Jesus. Um, but it still speaks to something true for all Christians, true for all of us, and that is this, that Jesus always takes the initiative in our conversion. It's always by God's grace. It's not a human work. It's God's work for us. This comes through in a number of ways in this text, but just here in verse 3, we see that it's not Saul finding God, but it's God who finds Saul. It's not Saul who finds God, it's God who finds Saul. And that's different to all other religions or spiritualities or faiths uh, that say you have to do certain things in order to find God, in order to draw near to God. It's up to you. Rather, Christianity is not about what you can do for God, it's about what God has done for you. It's not about us reaching a moral status that God is then happy with. And he goes, oh, you're accepted, you're mine. It's rather faith is a gift from God for us. And even if you find within yourself the power, the desire to ask God to come into your life, it's only because by his spirit, he's taken the initiative to seek you out. God seeks and saves the lost. Why is that important to know? Well, firstly, it means it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what your background is to come near to God. I think often it's very easy for us when you look at such a nice bunch of people on a Sunday morning to think that this could be some middle-class social club, that what joins us, what unites us is our background, our social status, our prosperity, 
But as you start to talk to the people next to you in your seats, you'll find out we've got all sorts of different backgrounds, all different stages in life, all different social statuses, so to speak. What unites us is an encounter with Jesus. And that is something that he has done for us, not something that we have done for ourselves. Take Saul's life, for instance. Verse 1 gives us enough background information on his life for this point. Verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul was a murderer of Christians. He hated Christians. He killed them because he liked doing it. And he likes it so much, verse 1 continues, he went to the high priest, he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the original name for Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul liked this so much, it became his day job. It's what he did for a living. We're told at the end of chapter uh, 7, Saul was holding the cloaks for those who were throwing stones at the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But perhaps, but perhaps just weeks later, Saul's life turned around and he becomes the Apostle Paul and becomes somebody who says Jesus is the Son of God. And this extreme example of conversion tells us that anyone can become a Christian. Anyone can come to God because it's all about His grace. It's not about what you have done. It's not about your background. It's not about where you're at. It's about God and His grace for you. Now, what what might that mean for you this morning? That might mean this. It's still possible for you. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, no matter what you've been told, You're not too far from God's grace. And you have not understood Christianity if you think, God wouldn't accept me because of my past. That option is not available to you because of Saul's story. Uh, The Lord was very kind to me this week as I was preparing my sermon, and I found it even more difficult with uh, our little life in our life, keeping me up um, all hours of the day, I looked at the church bookshelf. We have this bookshelf that's ages old. Ages old. And uh, I was getting a cup of tea on the way between my office and the kitchen. I glanced at the bookshelf and I saw a book called Conversions. And in this book is about 100 stories of men and women who have come to faith. And it's their stories of coming to faith. And, uh, and it starts with the Apostle Paul, Saul, whose story we're reading today. And it goes all through to the present day, or at least the 1970s, I think, what I can gain from the cover of the book. Um, but these, this idea that Jesus always takes the initiative, that Jesus comes to us, uh, was present in just about, I read about 10 or 15 of these stories. It was present in just about every one of them. Uh, John Wesley, famous for being spearheading, spearheading the Methodist movement, um, famously Um, says he was very unwilling to be at a a meeting of Christians where he heard someone reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of the Romans. He was very unwilling. And about a quarter before nine, I think this is at night, so he must have been very unwilling, um, 
While he was describing, the speaker describing the change God works in the heart through faith in Christ, he says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He goes on to say, I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for salvation. And as an, assur- and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Jesus always takes the initiative. Secondly, Jesus always uses his church. That's the second thing I think we see in this passage about how God works in our lives. Jesus always uses his church. Jesus always uses his people. The the largest part of this narrative that we're given about Saul's conversion is not Saul's past. It's not about who he was. And it's not Saul's dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's not even about what Saul goes and does. The largest part of this narrative is about how God uses a non-apostle, a very ordinary disciple called Ananias. God, in his purposes, uses his people. And there's a few great things I think we can learn from Ananias's story uh, within Paul's conversion It's helpful for us. The first thing is that Ananias was available. He was ready for God to use him. Have a look at verse 10. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, and notice his response, yes, Lord. It's very different to Saul's response, isn't it? Saul said, who are you? Ananias says, yes, Lord. And it's this very obedient response Christians know their shepherd's voice. Ananias didn't need to think about who was talking to him. Ananias didn't need to build trust with the person that was talking to him. Ananias had a relationship with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He trusted Jesus. He'd obeyed Jesus in the past, and he knew his voice. Do you know God's voice when he speaks? The second thing I love about this is Ananias is in his hometown, to be a missionary, you don't need to, or to be a mission, to be on mission, you don't need to be a missionary somewhere else. Jesus can use us in Willoughby. You can know the name of the street that he wants to use you on. Another thing I like is that Ananias is fearful at first. Did you notice Ananias has a conversation with Jesus because he's not very happy about what the task that he has called him to go on. In verse 13, Ananias says, Saul has a history of harm, Jesus. And Jesus in verse 15 says, yes, but he has a future for good. And in verse 14, Ananias says, he has authority to cause suffering. And Jesus in verse 16 says, for for my name, he will suffer. And what Ananias needs to know to overcome his fear is that Ananias isn't the most important man in Saul's story. He's not the one who really does the work. Jesus is the one who does the real work in people's lives. And Ananias, like you and I, are mere messengers, a part of what God is up to in the world, just following God's plan. Ananias may not have been a capital A apostle, but apostle just means a sent one. And he was a little A apostle. He was someone who knew he was sent, and he just... When God called, he just went. What does this mean for us today? I wonder then, sometimes, most mornings I wake up and I say, God, help me. 
Be a part of what I'm up to. Help me write my sermon. Help me with my conversation with my friends. I wonder whether a better prayer for us might be something like, God, help me be a part of what you're up to in the world. Maybe that would help us overcome some of our fears. God, show me how I can be a part of what you're already doing in my friends' lives, in the lives of those around me. That God uses his people, like Ananias, in his stories in the world is something that, again, stood out to me in my little book of conversions. Uh, Another great story was of Richard Baxter, who was a 17th century English Puritan and pastor. And he writes, It pleased God, in his story of conversion, it pleased God to give me one intimate companion who was the greatest help to my seriousness in religion than I ever had before. He was the first that I'd ever heard pray, and he taught me so to pray. And his charity and liberality were, so e- were equal to his zeal, so that God made him a great means for my good. God uses his people for his purposes. God always uses his church in conversion stories. We might never know the name of that person, who led Richard Baxter to the faith. We know Ananias' name, but that's all about all that's about all we know of him. Alright, thirdly, the third thing I think we can see in this story about our own conversion, about how God is at work in our lives, is that Jesus always has a purpose in conversion. Conversion is not the end of the story, it's only the beginning. Notice a few things about Paul's life, or Saul's life, mentioned towards the end of the passage after his conversion. Have a look at verse 20. It says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Have a look at verse 22. It says, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And in verses 23 to 25, we find out Uh, There's an attempt on Saul's life and his followers or his disciples help him escape. What's amazing to me about that is that our conversion is not not for ourselves, not simply for ourselves. It's for others. The change is in us, sure. It's a change of joy, of peace, of love, of wholeness, of forgiveness, of freedom. But it's something that overflows, it can't be contained. And because you know it's not something you've earned, but something that's been given to you, and because you know it's something that's available to everyone, and it's something that will make the world a better place, we can't help but let it change the shape of our lives. I want you to notice how quickly this transition is for Saul. Have a look at verse 18. He got up and was baptized, verse 19, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with his disciples in Damascus, uh, with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Blink and you'll miss it. His life changes so quickly. It virtually happens overnight. He eats, is a disciple, or with the disciples for a few days, and then he's 
an apostle. He's preaching. What does this mean for us? Maybe your life cycle is something like eat, sleep, repeat. Better might be eat, disciple, apostle. You're human. You need food. You need to gain strength. Eat. But just as fundamental to who you are, your DNA, your identity, is that you're a disciple, a follower of Christ. And what are the evidences in your life that you're a disciple, that you're a follower of Jesus? What are the evidences in your life? Do you read? Do you pray? Do you fast? Do you have time alone? Do you rest? Do you learn? Do you feast? Do you worship? Do you meet with his people? Is this family first family? Or is this second, third, fourth, fifth family? And then finally, a measure of the authenticity of your conversion is not just your willingness to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and to come to church, but it's having a new sense of purpose in your life, a sense of mission, a sense that you are sent. Eat, disciple, apostle. That's how quick it was for Saul. After becoming a Christian, God changes your life. And for many of us, he's changed the whole direction of your life. One final story from my little book of conversions is the story of David Livingston, the missionary and explorer in South Africa. Um, After his conversion, soon after, just a couple of years later, he responded to an appeal for medical missionaries in China. And he worked part-time in a cotton mill to help his family while he studied Greek and theology and medicine for two years at the University of Glasgow. He was then ordained as a missionary by the London Missionary Society. He ended up in Africa. And as he began his journey in Africa, he said, I shall open up a path into the interior or perish. And at the end of his life, he kind of writes a memoir of his time in Africa. And he says, I shall not refer again, he kind of talks about becoming a Christian, he says, I shall not refer again to the inner spiritual life which has happened. And this book will not so much talk about what has been done in Africa, but rather I will write of what still remains to be performed before the gospel can be said to be preached to all nations. Such was his ongoing sense of purpose, of mission, since his conversion. The thing about conversion is that it's often a one-off event in our life. But it really transforms your whole life. Like the slug becoming a butterfly. The butterfly doesn't return to the leaf to slug out, to eat and grow fat. It has no need for its old cocoon. It becomes a butterfly. It flies away. It does. It lives its new life. How would you describe your conversion? And more importantly, perhaps, is your conversion still describing you? Is it still describing who you are today? Is it the most transformative story? In your life. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, for those of us longing for a transformation in our lives, we pray with them, come, change us. For those of us whose hearts are still warmed by our conversion and desire still to proclaim your name in the world, by your Spirit, continue to empower us. And for those of us who have forgotten the change, forgotten the conversion that you have brought about in our lives, remind us, refresh us, help us see your grace in Jesus, even again this morning. We ask this in his name. Amen.